I asked Stephen Aremus one time before I ever went on. <laughs> when I go on, like, is there a way that we could like have different keys? <laughs> he goes, no, no. And I was like, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Oh cool. Thank you. Literally. Oh I my god. <laughs> my name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. Summer loving, and me a blast. Hey, <laughs> summer loving. Who's your dream cast? Oh, cute. <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome to Summer with Sentmen. Oh, we're back. We are back. Our highly anticipated return to your podcast feeds. <laughs> No one was waiting for Broadway to come back. Everyone was waiting for us to come back. Welcome back. We're so excited to be talking to you again. The break, I think, was much needed. I think so. But what was fun also, I mean, I know we we weren't making episodes, but because we were still pretty active on social, I feel like we got to pay attention more to like interacting with everybody on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all that. Definitely. Um, so that was actually kind of a fun part of the break for me. Didn't really feel like we were taking a full break. I felt like we were very much still around no it felt like spring break not summer break not for summer sure break. and now we're back on our summer break <laughs> yeah <laughs> and today we are really starting with a splash welcome back we're diving in we're cannonballing none of this toe first then you like wade in yeah. we're jumping in off the diving board well i guess before we get into the guests is there any like anything you want to talk about any updates you want to give before we just like go right into it Oh, big format change is we're moving Stuck on SJB to the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. Very important to note, you're not going to hear Stuck on SJB in our intro banter. However, it's obviously still a segment. We're just shaking things up for this, like, summer series, you know? We're trying things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> don't worry. If you were listening for just the Stuck on SJBs, now you got to listen to the end. Yeah. So today, we are talking to uh. the one and only Eden Espinoza. Yes, we are. Uh, I cannot believe. And Kevin, as with every long resume, I would love for you to run us through it. <laughs> <laughs> this is quite an extensive resume to read off. I'm going to start our journey with Ms. Espinoza with her Broadway debut, which was in 2003, the original Broadway company of Wicked. She was the standby for Alphaba and the understudy for Nessa. So she was one of those first few who had that like magic golden track. Love that combo. I love that combo. Bring it's it back. So fun. Wicked LLC, if you're listening, which maybe you are, <laughs> bring back that track. Uh, and then in 2004, she left Wicked to open Brooklyn on Broadway in the titular role of Brooklyn. Titular role. <laughs> the titular role of Brooklyn. Uh, then in 2005, she... This we have to ask her about, because on her Wikipedia page, it says that in 2005, she was a temporary replacement for Stephanie J mm -hmm. on the First National, which like has not been a part of that narrative for us up until now. Yes. But I'm curious, so we're going to ask her about that. I also think it's funny that this podcast has really turned into just PC together the storyline of of the first national tour opening yeah <laughs> <laughs> then in 2006 uh she went back to wicked broadway is as principal alphaba then in 2007 opened the wicked la company uh with megan hilty one of our faves worth noting that during that contract she sang and performed like as herself i'm not that girl and defying gravity on ugly betty i still remember that shot of like her and megan hilty 
I think like looking up in the wings or something because something and Megan Hilty says holy crap yeah (laughs) because ugly Betty had like accidentally somehow gotten on the levitator and that was so exciting for me as a kid because I was like oh my god professional like footage of wicked (laughs) yes yes exactly it's like new pro shot yeah um After that, in 2008, she played the, again, titular role in Flora the Red Menace at the UCLA Freud Playhouse. And I bring that up because that is also where our Queen SJB did their playing our song, formerly featured as a stuck on SJB. Absolutely stunning. So we're a big fan of the work they do at the UCLA (laughs) Freud Playhouse. After that, this is actually one of my favorite parts of this long resume list. In 2008, she went into Rent on Broadway as part of the closing cast as Maureen, Mm. um, which is kind of fun because her Broadway debut was being the standby for Adina Menzel. And then eventually she ends up on Broadway closing the role that made Adina Menzel iconic which must have been a moment for her i'd love to talk to her about that really fun which like we've all have that rent dvd the closing broadway cast oh mama i went to see it in the theater oh look at you after she closed rent she went back into wicked la 2010 she's back in wicked again in the san francisco company so she did a wicked contract like every year for seven years which is commendable and then Most recently, I mean, she's done a bunch of other like great concerts. Like she did the In the Heights concert. She did the Joseph concert where Jessica Vosk and Alex Newell were also the narrators with her. Yeah. Delicious. When I was working at my old Broadway job, I famously had a viral tweet and it was a gif of Noah Galvin twirling as Jessica Vosk, Eden, and Alex belted (laughs) at him. And I was like, heaven is having these three belting at you. Yeah. (laughs) I think I probably liked that. (laughs) But yes, and then I think uh, what is worth noting is that she went on the first national tour of falsettos as Trina. But yeah, and then she's also just like, I don't know, kind of like Julia Murney, how it's like, she's just a part of so many like things that are so iconic or legendary or like staples. Like she's on all the Scott Allen albums. Mm-hmm. She's on that hair actress fund recording. Yeah. Um, she's in that video of the Disney trio that everyone's obsessed with. Mm. She's just like involved in all the right stuff. And she's the voice of Cassandra on, I believe it's called Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure. We're not the target demo, but there is a song that I'm obsessed with. It's a duet between her and Jeremy Jordan. It is so good. We'll post it. You know what else is fun? Did you ever hear the rumor? I don't think this is fact, but I'm, I accept it as such. Sure. Um, the rumor that Adina Menzel was almost the voice of Mother Gothel in Tangled. I would absolutely accept that as fact. The like story that I have heard is that like she was like down to the wire with that, but then Frozen was being developed at the same time and they were like, mm, I think she's going to be better suited over there. Now I'm imagining that. I mean, I'm happy Donna Murphy did it. If it ever came to Broadway, she's the first call. Ooh. She would, I mean, who else? I mean, every Golden Age alphabet would probably be... The first round of calls. <laughs> do you think they'd go? Do you think they'd go in order? Julia Murney would be a good Mother Gothel. Ooh, honestly, yeah. <laughs> okay, should we introduce our like new segment for this little summer? I think so. As we mentioned, we're moving stuck on SJB to the end of every episode, but we thought it'd be super fun to kind of do a stuck on SJB esque segment every episode with the guests that we have on, which we are calling, Kevin, you're going to have to find a different sound effect to use, <gasps> choices, options, and bootlegs, oh my. 
And basically just like an opportunity to highlight like a very specific thing that we are obsessed with about this guest that falls outside of the world of Wicked because everyone who's played Alphaba, yes, is an Alphaba, but also has like an extensive career outside of it. And I, for sure. Yeah. So we just want to take the opportunity to highlight something non-Wicked that we're obsessed with these guests about because our interviews tend to get very Wicked centric, which obviously we're on, we're fine with. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but just to show the diversity that these actresses have within their careers. I think this is going to be fun too, because it's like all these women, we're not just obsessed with like their alphaba. We're obsessed with them and their entire canon of work. So for the first installment of Choices, Options, and Bootlegs, Oh My, featuring Eden Espinoza, I, Quincy Brown, am going to take it. Yes. Okay, listeners, in this moment right now, you're buckled up getting ready for me to give you my Choices, Options, and Bootlegs for Eden Espinoza. And you're probably thinking, obviously, it's going to be Brooklyn Once Upon a Time. Is it not? No, it's not. Today, I want to talk about Lempika the Musical, <laughs> which I'm going to be up front and say, I don't know much about the plot. I don't know much about the source material. I know it's about an artist named Tamara de Lempika, I think. So if that's incorrect, don't hold me to it. And I know that there might be a lesbian storyline somewhere in it. I think there is. Yeah. I know that the music is by Matt Gold. And I know that the music is fantastic. Every song I've heard from Lempika is actually incredible. So this came, this show came onto my radar, wow, in 2019, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. it was pre-pandemic. I just kept seeing things about this show at Williamstown Theater Festival called Lempika. Mm-hmm. And it was starring Eden Espinoza and Carmen Cusack. And I was like, okay, Eden and Carmen are in a show together. I need to figure out like what this is. Started watching all the little press clips promo performances started finding bootlegs of songs obsessed the music is so good there's a song which i'm assuming is kind of like the 11 o'clock number again i don't know the show (laughs) (laughs) called woman is and it is so so good it got me so excited i was contemplating because they were going to do a run in la jolla before the pandemic hit yeah i was literally contemplating going to la jolla to see it because i was so excited about it so we'll post it on our socials but definitely check out women is there's also like a video of shoshana bean doing it which is great it's a very like belty woman role so we'll probably hate it (laughs) (laughs) but i'm i'm really hopeful that the pandemic didn't Stop the track. Yeah. yeah, like I hope it comes back after all this is over because it seemed like a really great show and such a great like star vehicle for Eden and that role. Yeah. So I'm really excited. And it seemed like it was steam like all what is the phrase? All speed ahead. All, all speed ahead. It feels like it was all speed ahead for Broadway. So I hope that that still happens when we come out of all this. Me too. I guess we could kind of Oh my god. <laughs> Quincy, when we come out of this as in September 14th. I was going to say, we should probably talk about the fact that like, since we left you, we now have like a Broadway announcement. And we're fucking going. Oh my God. Yeah. Guys, set men are going to be at the first performance of Wicked on Broadway. We're going to be. Should we do a meetup outside? Listen, if you guys see us at, at intermission. Mind your business. If we're not in the bathroom, come and talk to us. We'll be at the Stephanie J screen if anyone wants. Oh my to. god, <laughs> we literally will be like laying flowers down. <laughs> I'm cleaning it, making sure it's <laughs> so excited. I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to be at this first performance. Me too. It's gonna be. I'm gonna cry. It's gonna be wild. Oh, I'm gonna be beside myself. And I'm glad that we're going together, Kevin. You're. You have never seen me as gay as I'm going to be that night. <laughs> I'm glad that's the first show we're seeing back. No, there's no other choice. Yeah. Like what? We're going to go see Chicago? 
<laughs> I said, if they put a housewife back in Chicago, I'll go see it. Okay, let's talk about that. Uh-oh. Did you see on the like cast and crew page of the Chicago website, it says a bombshell announcement is coming soon. And at time of recording, that announcement has not come. Uh-huh. But do you think it's going to be Megan Hilty and Catherine McPhee as Velma and Roxy, respectively? If that happened, I would buck up for premium seats to see chicago on broadway i would lose my mind but then we were texting about it and you said it's not gonna be cat and megan it's gonna be who <laughs> it's gonna be angelica houston and deborah messing which i would also pay money to see <laughs> i would also pay top dollar for <laughs> or it's gonna be like krista rodriguez and savannah wise <laughs> oh but then i was like what if it's not a reference to bombshell smash it's a reference to bombshell the movie and it's like megan kelly's going into chicago not anyone from the movie just megan kelly herself <laughs> Which really seems more plausible than Cat McPhee and Megan Hilty. So there's a chance that the scent <laughs> men might also be at Chicago in the first week. I can't. Um, but yeah, let mm-hmm. us know if you guys are also going to be at the first performance of Wicked on Broadway. Because I think that's going to be... <sighs> that's like history. Like for the rest of our lives, we're going to be like, we were at that first performance of Wicked. I know. Quincy, have you ever thought about how cool it's going to be when Glinda comes down and says... <laughs> I saw a tweet that was like, if I see one more tweet about how cool yeah. it's going to be. <laughs> it's so funny because on Twitter, I like have a, a saved search that I just go through and like, oh, click, 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 like everything. And one of the keywords is Glinda. And so I truly have seen every tweet that oh, that says that. Yeah. And I have pr- I probably like about five tweets a day. That Yeah. Well, I'm like, it was very cute in the beginning. I was like, oh my God. But I'm like, at this point, guys, we have made that point. Like we have talked about it. Also, like, justice for Alphaba's entrance. When Lindsay Heather Pierce, when those doors open and she runs down the stage, I'm going to have to be restrained. Oh, oh my, wait, this is going to be so That's going to be so amazing, too. And when sentiment, okay, so we had a listener, actually, I think it was friend of the pod, Jason, who said that when sentimental man comes on in Wicked, comes on, when... The wizard performs Sentimental Man in Wicked. It has a whole new meaning now. <laughs> it does. It does. And we'll be able to find, we'll be able to locate who in the audience listens to the pod. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> of the cheering. <laughs> yeah, gosh. What other moments are you looking forward to? Okay, so on this topic, the whole It's Good to See Me by Glinda gets all the clout right now. I feel like that's what we're talking about. But I think her finale monologue that we've been through a frightening time is going to hit oh. harder. Like, I think yeah. that's going to be really emotional, especially because we'll have just gone through the whole show. Right. Everyone's going to be on such a high yeah. because it's going to be like, Wicked's back. They're, like, she's belting. Like, yeah. everything's great. I'm blinded by the lights. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like, hey, didn't the last year and a half suck? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know how to behave in a show. Like, it's going to be a really interesting experience, I think. Yeah. I think it's going to be nutso. I also saw a tweet that was like, the first performance back at Wicked is going to be the biggest cruising event in the history of the world. I know. (laughs) Everybody's going home with a boyfriend. Yeah, Yeah, so I hope you guys have tickets to see whatever Broadway show you want to see when it's back. It's going to be a very exciting time. September can't come soon enough. I know. It's going to be great. Eden Espinoza. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Eden Espinoza, hi. Listen, it's finally happening and I couldn't be happier. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. There oh. it is. Oh, shit. Off the bat, <laughs> off the bat. 
Okay, so you know our shtick. We're going to geek out about Wicked. But before we get into Wicked, Kevin and I just wanted to take this opportunity to really commend you on all the advocacy you've been doing over the past year. It's been really incredible to watch. And I'm really glad that the timing of all this worked out that we're talking to you now because it feels like a very interesting time where mm-hmm. Broadway's announced that it's coming back. We're very excited for Broadway to be coming back. But there was a mm-hmm. lot of talk and momentum about, okay, during this break, we're going to make sure that we build a better Broadway so that when it does come back, we're in a better place. And now it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, is that happening? Has it happened? Yeah. Are we just yeah. kind yeah. of going to move on and forget about all of the, I know. this talk that we had? All of those things. Yeah, so how are you feeling? Just checking in now in <laughs> yeah, this yeah. process. I mean, I'm feeling all of the things. There, I, I'm feeling a, a, a wide variety of emotions, all ranging from hopeful to devastated to depressed to optimistic to realistic, you know. Um, and I think that a year ago, I think that I had a very different um idea of how it would pan out a very different idea of how more of the industry would be as like-minded as some of us are and Mm -hmm. and it's okay that they're not because everybody has their own you know lived experience everybody has their own view on their career and and their position in their career um and how I'm feeling today is that I, I think I have a little bit more of a realistic view of like yes this is actually a long game like Mm -hmm the longest of games you know yeah. if we even look at like you know the the civil rights movement in the 60s like we're we're still dealing with this yeah. right i mean there are there are movements towards towards what we want it to be but mm-hmm. it's still a struggle and mm-hmm. i feel like broadway out of all the entertainment industry is the most behind like we are the last to even though we seem like we're the most inclusive mm-hmm. well that's the interesting thing where it's yeah. like you think that broadway would be kind of ahead of the curve and kind of leading the charge on yeah equity and diversity yeah and i i mean i naively thought that as well mm-hmm. so i think that i think there have been steps towards what we want but i think for me personally i'm like oh this is you know not everyone's gonna say i'm not going back to work um and nor should they i mean you know not every again not everybody's in the position to do that um and that and i think that's fine i just it's hard to put it on the actors i think i don't 100 no yes yeah um, I think most of all, I want people to realize their power. I, I want that narrative out of everything to change the most. Of course, like equity. Yes, I want everyone to be treated fairly and safely and equally. But I think a lot of that comes with the actor having agency and knowing mm-hmm. that like, knowing your worth and knowing, mm, no, my career won't be ruined if I say no to this mm-hmm. abuse or if I say no to this <laughs> you know, person taking advantage of me. And so like less of the mindset of like, well, this is the business and this is how it is. And I signed up for it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my, my, my viewpoint on that has really changed. Like, no, I, I, I wouldn't willingly sign up for that. Yeah. And so I'm not going to, I've made it through a year and a half without like set, setting foot on a stage. And I've actually thrived in many areas of my life that I don't think I would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I want people to have that sort of revelation, if anything. Yeah. And how does this kind of viewing your career moving forward? How is that kind of perspective shifted after this year? In a huge way. This is going to sound harsher than I mean it. It's not that I don't care. Mm-hmm. 
it's just that there are bigger things. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, yeah. I, I had, a, I had a residency that I, I had started and didn't get to finish um, when the pandemic hit. And so I, I did my first live show a couple of weeks ago back at the green room 42. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was sitting with my guitar player and I was like, I'm, I'm really noticing that I'm, I don't feel anxious and I don't feel like, Oh God, I hope I can make it through the show without having sung after a year and a half. And, yeah. And he was like, yeah, because there's there's bigger things. And I was like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. This should be for me. This should be for enjoyment. This should be for joy. Very um, yeah. And so that's that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I, th- I think that speaks to, I mean, I've been kind of feeling like this pull in each direction where it's like, we need Broadway back. We need theater back. We need sitting in a room and storytelling back. But there's all this mm. other work that needs to be done. And I think that theater people specifically were the kind of artists that it's like we are about community you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it's like as much as we want to protect our own community we also know that we serve a community of people who rely on theater to get through these times so it really is it's a complicated complicated ratio to navigate yes yes when you work in the theater industry it's like these are your friends these are your colleagues this is your fun activities that you're doing it's so ingrained in your life yeah yeah absolutely nobody starts to work in theater because they're going to make a million dollars right like we're all here because we care about it we're all (laughs) here because it means something to us and so yeah it's kind of funny that we are the maybe in last place as far as this conversation goes. But I think it's surprising given that the people in the conversation are so, we're so forward thinking. We're so mm-hmm. like ready to make the change. It's just that mm-hmm. the system is- It's hard. antiquated. It's Right. And we're not the ones, the people leading this yes. charge are not the ones in, in charge of the system. Yeah. It's just, you know, the more work you do, the more peeling back layers of systems of capitalism white supremacy it's like oh shit like this is deep Mm -hmm. which would have been easy to keep glossing over if this forced pause hadn't happened you know yep absolutely absolutely i wouldn't learn i wouldn't have learned half of the things that i did or maybe not any yeah and 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 realized my place in it and, and areas that i had not known or been complacent or yeah, so it's all yeah. it's all very eye opening. Um, Definitely. Kind of on this note, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. When Kevin and I were prepping for this interview, we kind of had this moment of realization where we were like, "Oh, Eden Espinosa was the first woman of color to play Alphaba." Yeah, but then yeah, you've talked about this before, where you kind of fall in a tricky space when it comes to how you identify and how you're going to be thought of in the industry. Perceived, yeah. Yeah. You know, this last year, uh, year and change, I was asked early on to be a part of a panel for for this exact reason of like the alphabets of color. At the time, I just didn't feel like I could contribute to the conversation because that's not the reason I was hired. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It wasn't a thing that nobody cared that I was Mexican-American. Like it was, that wasn't a thing. And as I've, gotten it further into my work as a Mexican-American woman diving into colorism and how I'm viewed and really going like, oh, I, I'm not actually a person of color. I'm white. Like my skin is white and people look at me um, and they don't see the stereotypical version of what they think is Mexican. Mm-hmm. And that can, you know, that can come 
as a plus or a minus. And mm-hmm. it has my entire career. Like you're not quite, you know, you're not quite ethnic enough. Can you make this, can you make this scene more urban? Can you make mm-hmm. it more street? Or you're actually, we want to call you back in for like the doctor or lawyer. You sound too educated. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? And God, so yeah. it, that has been a thing my whole life, but it's also like, I've, I've just realized that I can be aware of how I take up space as a person of color. And is there actually a person of color who can be in this position, who can do this role? Am I taking up Mm -hmm. space that has someone who has had lived experience of immigrating to this country? And, you know, that, that that's very nuanced. You know, my, my whole family is, has more Eurocentric features. I have my family in Mexico are blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, they're, we are, we are very light skinned. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that has its own thing. In Mexico, but also in America, you know, in yeah. America, you're not, you're not Mexican, but you're not white. Mm-hmm. And so, and then people from Mexico are like, you're not Mexican, you're American. Yeah. <laughs> and the Americans are like, you're Mexican. <laughs> you know, it's a very, <laughs> no, a it's very interesting. weird thing. And yeah. I kind of relate because I'm originally from Hawaii. And when I came to the mainland, I feel like when people find out I'm from Hawaii, they just assume that this is like what Hawaiian looks like, but I'm actually half right. black. So it's like, right. I personally have never had the experience, like negative experiences towards my race, you know? Right. So when all the Black Lives Matter things was happening and people were reaching out, it felt very weird because I was like, I personally haven't lived these experiences, but I can understand right. why you would think that, you know? Do you identify more as like AAPI? How do you navigate that space? Well, yeah. So it's interesting because I'm also half Asian and I was raised by the Asian side of my family. So the black of it all really, and Hawaii race is not as big of an issue as it is on the mainland. Um, So just like thinking of my race in general was never a thing growing up. And it's been Mm -hmm. definitely an interesting area to navigate as I've been on the mainland and as the Black Lives Matter happened and the Stop Asian Hate was all going on. It's been very interesting. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. so to bring it back to your question, like technically, yes, I am the first. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, I am the first like non-white. Yeah. I mean... You know what I'm saying. Yeah. This was like a really great conversation. I feel great about this. This is great. We're, we're back for season two. <laughs> then we'll start to talk about the green in a minute. I know. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so the other skin color. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So switching gears to Wicked, we like to start every interview with when did Wicked the musical first enter your life? So Stephanie and I are both from Orange County, California. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Orange County Alphabas, a sub sorority. <laughs> yes, there it, it, it kind of is. Um, we both, you know, worked at Disney and did a lot of regional theater. So I definitely knew she was like superstar of like regional theater. Was she like the it girl? Yes. Really? 100. Like oh, she was that. it. And so <laughs> we knew each other and I like looked up to her. And, and so there were not rumors, but like we all knew that she was part of developing this like new story called wicked and you know it's like a and then like some you know people started talking about the book and 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 this musical so i had moved to new york around the same time that that stephanie had um and i moved to new york because i auditioned for the workshop of brooklyn and that's what took me to new york i did the workshop of brooklyn two weeks later i moved and you auditioned from california for Brooklyn, yes. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. They had had sessions in in New York and um I had made it to the very end from LA for several tours cast by Dave Clemens. What were the tours? Well, one no, one was uh 
Dracula. <laughs> was real close to getting that one. And um, there was this other like thing called Lord of the Light or something. Like it was a random like okay. uh, rock symphony yeah. type thing. I was on his radar. So he would call me in for things. And so he said, you know, we're, we're coming into LA. We've seen people in New York. They haven't quite found what they were looking for. And I think you should be seen for this workshop of a new show. And I didn't even know what a workshop was. Like I had to ask my, I was working at Universal Studios at the time. And I, and a lot of, a lot of people in LA had like done Broadway and then like, don't like living in New York. So they like go back to LA. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my friends were older and had done Broadway and tours and, everything. So I was like, guys, like, what's, okay, what's this workshop? Like, should I do it? They're like, yes, you're doing it. Like audition. So Brooklyn was in their out of town tryout, uh, in Denver at the mm -hmm. same time that wicked was out of town in San Francisco. Okay. Now, mind you, I had auditioned for Nessa Rose for the original company for like, oh, you did. and then, so Brooklyn went to Denver wicked was in San Francisco. And I got a call from Stephanie Block, who said to me, I have been cast in a musical called Boy From Oz, opposite sure. Hugh Jackman. So I am no longer going to continue with Wicked, and you should tell your agent that you want to go in as, as the understudy. Wow. And so I did. I told them what she had said, and then I, I got an audition. They gave me the fallen house scene, which is the the like yeah. mm -hmm. fight scene with Glinda, and then uh, and Defying Gravity. And she came over to our apartment, which there was five of us living in an apartment. We all knew each other from Orange County, right? So Stephanie would come over a lot. And she came over and she sang Defying Gravity a cappella for me in a tape recorder, y'all. Tape <laughs> recorder. This is this is the dating me myself right now. And coached me on it. Wow. Told me, like, told me what the, the setup of the scene was. Does Shoshana Bean have a similar story of Stephanie Block singing that to her? She does on, like, I'm a street sure. corner or something. Oh, I didn't know that. It's, like, the first time that Shoshana was going in, and she mm -hmm. called Stephanie and left a voicemail, like, hey, if, can you, like, tell me how the song goes or whatever? And Stephanie, like, called her back from, like, 72nd and Broadway and, like, <laughs> sang it full out onto her voicemail. <laughs> See, these are the stories that wouldn't happen anymore. You know <laughs> right, I mean? right. And then I, I went in. And then I, they, they gave me the option to be in the ensemble and be the cover or be oh. the standby. I still had Brooklyn on the brain. So I was like, I want that to be my like technical Broadway debut. So sure. I was like, I want to be the standby. And as like leading lady in a Broadway yeah. show. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. having like crafted it. and Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I'll be the standby and I'll just like hang out. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was no rigmarole like they have to do now of like singing it a million times. Like right, right. I, ha I had my first audition, uh, which I sang Meadowlark. Wow. And my callback was Defying Gravity and the Fallen House scene. And they asked, they asked me to wear a black dress. Yeah. So you sang a Belty Steven Schwartz song for your Wicked audition. I did. Wow. <laughs> That's like gutsy. And what's crazy is like, I didn't even think about that shit. Like, this is what they would teach you in school. Like, never do that. But I just was like, this is my song that I sing all the time. So yeah. Yeah. I did it again for Frank Wildhorn. When I had gone in for Dracula, I sang Someone Like You. Because <laughs> oh that was my audition song. Right. And I didn't even think like... Oh, I'm going to be singing it for the composer until I walked in, handed my music, and I was like, oh my God, this is his. Okay. Yep. We're going to okay, just. Here we go. I peer through windows. <laughs> <laughs> <Like> <laughs> so, wait, when, 
Wicked, because you had obviously known of Rent at this point in time when Wicked was happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So 100%. what was kind of the buzz when you're going in for Wicked and you know Adina Menzel is now starring in it? What were the mm-hmm. feelings then? Well, I mean, I was gagged. I yeah. mean, I, all I wanted to do was be Maureen. That's the, I looked up to Adina so much. And beyond that, I didn't really think much of it. It hadn't opened, you know? Yeah, so right, like, right. we didn't know what it was. It wasn't this huge Gosh. thing yet. Yeah, it hadn't opened. You know, we had heard rumblings of stuff from San Francisco, yeah, but like not really anything. And then they called me in early. So they were like, can you just come in and hang out basically? Like mm-hmm. you, nobody's gonna have time to rehearse with you. We'll pull mm-hmm. you if when we when we have time, but just like be around and learn what you can mm-hmm. when they were in tech. So I walked in. I walked into the Gershwin and shortly after being in Denver with a five person show in which we wore trash. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember walking in, and uh, they were teching one short day, and I quite it was it was a very surreal moment. But I remember just going like. I'm not in Kansas anymore because, yeah. you know, because I was like, oh my God, this is a real, not a real musical, but you know. Especially at that point in your career, right? Like you were still a young actress. This was your break. Yeah. I hadn't made a Broadway debut. I hadn't, yeah, nothing. So then what, what is it like for you then, like as a standby, kind of not an invisible member of the company, as an offstage member of the company, let's say. Mm-hmm. And the first standby. And the first standby to mm-hmm. go through this wild opening where the show became this like huge thing. Like, did you feel any ownership of the show at that point or no I, it was very much like on the outside oh, yeah. the <laughs> it very much was waving through window <laughs> because <laughs> was there a glinda standby at the time there wasn't right no there wasn't added later yeah gotcha yeah they couldn't find somebody and then laura bell came along yeah, it was very surreal just because like you weren't involved in in things. And so mm-hmm. it was very voyeuristic because like sure. even when they would have like pull, you know, members of, of a scene aside in like the rotunda to rehearse something, then I would just be there like watching and taking notes. So mm-hmm. but it's like I don't know anybody here. I feel very intrusive a little bit. But then randomly, like I'd be sitting in the house and Norbert would come and be like, hey, do you want to go run lines? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, nice. or, you know, one of the assistant stage managers would pull me and run lines with me or Aremis would pull me and learn some music. And yeah, it is a weird thing because you're, you know, I had a ticket for every preview to learn. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned the show, basically. So you you did you did know all the inside stuff, but you were definitely on on the outside. Yeah. 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 So watching the show and learning the show before you did it the first time, what was like mm-hmm. the biggest stressor about going on for Elf? I think for me, it was it was the stamina of just like uh-huh. the ins and outs because I, I knew one side of it, meaning like uh-huh. I knew uh, what I saw from the audience and what I could jot down. But the other side, like the the quick changes and the mm-hmm. patterns and, and there were also certain things that Adina's dresser would pull me aside and tell me. You know, she was like, for Defying Gravity, like, practice from this point on with your feet together uh, because you had to stand. So you had to stand on the levitator or, you know, you might want to, like, run run a a stairwell up and down, you know, just to, like, know that, like, you have a fucking run around before you're singing or, or, or even Defying Gravity. So things like that. I think it was it was those types of things. I went on for Nessa First, with right? one rehearsal. One, yeah, I made my Broadway debut with Nessa. And one one rehearsal. Yeah, 
Wow. Because they already had an understudy who had gone on in San Francisco, Christy oh, Candler. Right, and so they're right. like, don't worry about Nessa right now. Just focus on Alphaba. And were you focusing on Nessa at all during the rehearsal? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Until yeah. one day they're like, okay, which of course at that, at that point I knew the vocal, you know, sure. and the lines, but like, and then I had one understudy rehearsal on Thursday and that Saturday matinee I went on for my first time. I imagine the blocking is probably difficult with Nessa. Yes. <laughs> I mean a wheelchair a wheelchair on a rigged stage is yeah it's yeah it takes a lot god bless those triceps okay wait so you're standing by what's happening with Brooklyn while you're is it still happening are you still like yeah there was back and forth because a lot of our creative team was also involved in taboo oh mm. yeah. they were gonna try to get us in that season but then oh. taboo went and that was the year it was like Taboo, Avenue Q, Wicked, Carolina, uh, Carolina Change. Change. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, then then Brooklyn was the next season. So what was the decision? Because you left Wicked to do Brooklyn, right? Yeah. I just always, I mean, I, it was, oh, no brainer. Mm-hmm. I was always, you know, that was my, that was my show that I originated. So it was like, I was just waiting for that to happen. And mm-hmm. I remember like certain people had conversations with me of like, are you sure you want to, <laughs> are you sure? Because I left like you know, not long before Kristen had already left and uh, Norbert had already left. And so it was like, are you sure you want to go like right before, right before you might replace. And I was like, yeah. On that note, what was it like to be a standby and watch Adina go through the wicked journey with the Tonys and all of that? It is a cool like position to be in because you, you really do get to see the ins and outs of how much it takes, but you don't know until you're in it. Mm-hmm. And so I remember <laughs> my first time going on for Alphabet was planned because mm-hmm. she had been cast in a movie. Like the dust one... movie? Ask the... Yeah, Ask, Ask the, the Dust. dust. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the dust movie. <laughs> and then there was the actual filming where I was on for like two weeks. And I remember Saturday night of my first week, like right before the pop-up at the end through the trapdoor Fiero, you're hanging there for a while waiting to pop up. And I'm hanging there. And I remember looking at Joby, Adina's dresser. And I was like, Adina Menzel is the hardest working woman in show business. And then I was like, <laughs> because I just remember going like, this is not, that was my first time doing, yeah. you know, an almost full week. And I was just like, yo, this is a lot. And I remember one time asking her like, what do you do during the day? Like, <laughs> You know, just like, so what, what, what's your life life like? Like, what do you do? And she's like, I don't do anything. I spend the morning recovering from the night before. And then I spend the afternoon prepping for the evening show. And right. I remember being a, like a, just a naive, young, I was 25 years old, you know, yeah. young performer just going like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, and, and then when I got in and I was like, no, quite literally, that's it. That's you're, it, yeah. You're wiped. You're yeah. just tired. Kevin and I were talking about vocally comparing your role in Brooklyn and Alphaba, mm-hmm. which is harder. Uh, Alphaba was harder for me by a lot. Really? Gosh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because Brooklyn was like, you know, it was like a couture dress made for my courts. Right. Julia Murney said the same thing about Wild Party. She's like, when it's bringing you to your own limits and not Adina Menzel's, it's yes. a little, it's a totally different ball game. 100%. Even though yeah. technically yeah. you belted higher in Brooklyn. Way higher, but yeah. yes. But my voice like sits easier higher. So where Adina, where Adina's sweet spot was, was the bane of my existence. Wow. Interesting. And that's why I would option up. We just talked to Jackie Burns and she told us that she opted up at the end of Wizard and I because it was easier for her. And that last note was like the worst. Same. Wizard and I, bane of my existence. 
Really? Like the the worst. No good deed. I could sing all day, but there were certain moments of no good deed where I was like, this doesn't feel good. Wow. And my biggest fear was that I would have a surprise go on and I wouldn't be ready. Uh-huh. Yeah. So forever, like I would sing along certain songs or I would do blocking up in the top rehearsal room along with the show. Uh-huh. Um, at least once a week I would do it on my own. But sometimes I'd be hanging in my dressing room and I'd just sing along. But that's when I would option up. The, the things I never felt, the options up of yeah. no good deeds that are like the mm-hmm. Eden ones. That's just because I was fucking around because it was sat easier in my voice. Right. Well, so when you were first going on as standby, were you opting up or were you singing to score in the very beginning? Well, in the very beginning, I would I would sing to score, but sometimes I would throw in a something. It, it was not okay at the oh. time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd get a I'd get a talking to. Yeah, just like one time I said I got in trouble, and Stephen's like, "You didn't get in trouble," and I was like, "You're right, I didn't get in trouble, but you asked me not to do it." Right. Sure. At that point, it was like, "Can just do the things that Adina has already done." Mm-hmm. but then later when i took over then i did whatever and then now they teach them as options right yeah well so then that's a question i have is like so then what was the shift for you between like sitting in the audience or sitting backstage being intimidated by the scale of it and then eight years later you're like still doing the part you know what i mean like where was that switch where you like found your sweet spot that you were able to keep coming back to it yeah i think that um, there was a switch for me because um, in the first national tour, Stephanie had gotten injured. Which right. walk us through that because a big part of this podcast is piecing <laughs> together Stephanie's injury story and that whole thing. We are the historians of this event. so <laughs> I love this. I love this. Eden, someone cited us in a college essay. I love that. <laughs> we got a DM that was like, hey, I cited you in a paper. Can I email it to you? And we were like, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, so timeline was they had approached me to just stand by because they weren't sure what was happening with Stephanie. Like mm-hmm. she she needed some time to heal. Like she got injured and then was not healing, yeah. you know, because she didn't have like the t- proper time off. And I remember my agent saying, why don't you just let her do an entire city that way she can get some reviews and Stephanie can completely heal. Oh, good agent. Yeah. And they they said yes. And so I came into LA at the Pantages and shadowed Stephanie. I think I did one show there. And then I did the entire San Francisco run of the mm. first national tour in 2005. And Got that was it. your first time doing it full time. Full time. Right? Correct. Okay. And what was that experience? Because it was on tour. So presumably not as difficult as doing it. Yeah, well... I mean, and even, yeah, because no rake and no, a lot of, you know, a lot of underground stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also awesome because like I had Derek Williams who we were both understudies and, you know, oh, together sure. he was fear. There were a lot of familiar faces. And then it was then when they started talking to me about going to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And then I took over for Shoshana. And at that point you were like, obviously, yes. Yeah, for sure. And then mm-hmm. during that, is when they approached Megan and I about the LA company. Yes. Okay, so here's what I want to talk about. You did it for a long time, Eden. I did. I did a contract every year for seven years, from 2003 to 2010. Crazy. At what point in those seven years did you think, should I stop doing this? Am I tired of this? No, I'm Mm going to keep going. Like, I I have to assume that happened at some point. Yeah, it did. There were moments of that at the end of my Broadway run, but then LA was a completely different experience only because, you know, we really got to make it our own and, and mm-hmm. start from scratch. And Joe, you know, Joe was there 
the whole time, which oh, okay. was not necessarily the case any other time. Okay. Um, and so we really like built it from the ground up and he pushed Megan and I really hard to reinvent, which was amazing. So would you say you had the most freedom on that contract? Yeah. It was actually encouraged to not do, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And then you moved to San Fran after doing LA. Yes. I left LA earlier than the rest of my cast did okay. because I, I was, I had, yeah, I was done right. and I'm not the type, everyone thought I was crazy. Like I literally had conversations with my friends going, you're, you're crazy. Why are you leaving? Right. You know, because it was a cushy ass gig, but I'm not the type of, I can't phone things in. Mm-hmm. And I had really worked hard in conjunction with, you know, under Joe's direction to to really this new level of um, immediacy and presence and freedom in which that I didn't know how to phone it in. Mm-hmm. That it was like, and I remember him saying, like, this is your new bar and it'll and when it gets less than this, you're going to feel it. Mm, and it was true. And I was like, this is not fair to myself to my counterparts and to the audience like I'm just not I need a break so then I yeah I left like it was just shy of a year mm-hmm. and then Megan and I came back at the end they asked us to come back to close right. it yeah, yeah. And so that then was, walk us through the decision to do San Francisco after your experience in LA your first experience in LA that was that was purely uh, I was about to get married and they, it was a, it was a limited engagement. You know, it was like it's this amount of time. Do you want to come back? And I was like, if the okay. check cleared, <laughs> I was like, okay. And that yeah. was, and that was really the clincher of I'm done. Close the book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, gotcha. What was awesome about it though was like Kendra. I, it was with Kendra, a cast mm-hmm. bomb, mm-hmm. who we had done it five years prior on the tour, right? on the tour. Yeah. Right. And so it was really cool to revisit that with her in the same city, in the same theater, five years apart. And it was, it was also kind of cool because we were around the same age. And sometimes you can get like, you know, if it wasn't Megan, as the years went on, there was a gap in age. Sure. Younger. Yeah. And so when I had somebody that was like my true peer, it was just like a different experience. And so I, I'm glad that I got to have that moment with Kendra, that bookend moment with her yeah. for sure. Yeah. So of all the contracts you did over the years, what do you hold most special in your heart? I'd say LA. LA. Yeah. Yeah. That's LA it. was really like mine, meaning like that was my alphabet. That was my, my hometown. True. And you got to originate it. Yeah. So we have this kind of, I don't know if it's a theory, it's just like an idea that every alphabet resonates with one of the big three songs the most. Okay. So Wizard and I define Gravity, No Good Deed, alphabet. Of the three, we already know you don't like the Wizard and I. <laughs> Here's what's crazy. I actually really love the sentiment of the song. It's just vocally, it's not my fave. Yeah. yeah. Which everyone has said. Everyone's like, Wizard and I is like the worst thing to start a show with. I can't believe we have to It do is that. right <laughs> out the gate. <laughs> So of the three, which would you say you resonate with the most? No good Dean. Do you feel like vocally that fits you the best? Or is it that that's like an easy place for you to go emotionally? Like what, what draws you there? I like where it is in the, in the arc of the character. Mm-hmm. I also like, you know, I have moments for Defying Gravity with this as well. But it's like, I like the, the, the places that I got to uh, with Joe's permission, I guess. You know, mm-hmm, like sure. he, really, he really pushed me to unleash the beast. Yeah. The like anger and the manic and the like the, yeah. the shit that like drove her that made her the wicked witch. Yeah. Right, um, right. As as misunderstood as she was. Like and that moment I love that she fucking owns it, you know, and that's like fine. 
from a fan perspective, it really feels like the Eden Espinosa No Good Deed is kind of like the bar that now all the other alphabas work around and try to channel and center themselves around. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, it's also just a fun to play that dichotomy of like the mm-hmm. torture of like, what have I done and how can I fix it? And, you know, yeah. all these people who have, you know, Dr. Dillam and Nessa and, you know, I'm just like, I keep, I keep trying so hard and it's not working out. So before we go, so fast. We have to talk about Lempika, Eden. Let's talk about it. What do you want to talk about? Quincy is obsessed with Lempika. And here's the thing. Have we... you seen, did you see No, so, no. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Listen, it makes me happy that people are obsessed already when, like, there's been nothing. Like That's what I'm saying, though. <laughs> don't know the plot. I know that it's about, like, the artist. I know that there's perhaps a lesbian storyline. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All I know is that Women Is is going to change Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> If and when it's ever performed live. So, like, what can you tell us about Lampika? Is it coming back? We hope so. Yeah. I, I hope so. Um, Lampika is a, oof, it's a beautifully nuanced, deep, uh, complicated, sweeping. What kind of musical would you compare it to? Because I'm really trying to get a sense for, like, the tone of it. Okay, so if I could take the, the, epicness of a Les Mis mm. and make it a like more contemporary in, in like a wicked sense. Right. Gosh. But even like there's more, there's like track elements to certain songs that come in because it was oh. right in the, right in the turning of things artistically when people started like the art deco renaissance when people started mm-hmm. painting more like skyscrapers and metal and machines. So there's a lot of cool track elements that are involved in the music as well. Um, gotcha. Oh, that's what I, I it is very <laughs> epic and sweeping, but it's contemporary. Wow. Gotcha. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I hope. I'm like, this is going to be Eden Espinosa's Tony. <laughs> Listen, 2020 was supposed to be the year of Lampica. And uh, I was ready. <laughs> So was I, Quincy. So was I. <laughs> but, you know, it, everything happens as it should. And, you know, I don't know. I know that they've, because the story is so involved, her life was so, just so many things happened to her. Yeah. Um, that there have been a lot of rewrites and a lot of, you know, over the years and as, and even during the pandemic. So they're still fine tuning and working and it's also you know just figuring out what's the right move now what's the right do we still go to la jolla do we not and um you know rachel is uh has just continued to rise in her career so it's also figuring that out and so we'll see i have faith that it'll turn out the way it's supposed to and um but it's it's also tricky because it's not a commercial piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. people don't know who this woman is. And so that's the tricky part of it as well. So it feels like a really special show. And it feels like if it's marketed correctly, it could really be it. You know, I agree. Yeah, I'm yeah so I agree. For it, it's even. about that puzzle, though. We got to figure out that puzzle. Definitely. But yeah. Thank you for being excited. I'm excited too. Sorry, sorry. I am. <laughs> There's a lot of good shit in there that I'm excited to share. So, yeah, definitely. well, we can't yeah. wait. Where can people find you online, Eden? I'm at Eden Espinosa on all the things. Ooh, um, yeah, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, EdenEspinosa.com. Amazing. Awesome. Slide into my DMs. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. This Thanks has been for so having great. me. It went yeah. by so fast. I know, I know. Uh, 
Ooh, Kevin, it feels good to be back. It feels right. You know what I mean? It's like I was missing a piece of myself, and now I have that piece back, and that piece is talking to Elphaba's. And listen, I was a little worried. I was like, are we still going to have our je ne sais quoi about us after all this time off? Yes. But I think we did. Quincy, I was full on Norma Desmond. I don't know why I'm frightened. I know my way around here. The but Quincy, the sound it was as if we had never said goodbye. We fell right back in. I was real proud of how we did. Yeah, it was really fun, really fresh. It was nice to like talk to you in this way again. I feel like I miss communicating with you in our sticky way that we do on the podcast. We were being too real for too long. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I like my friendships with like a glossy, laminated, artificial personality. <laughs> <laughs> also, like Quincy, pretty freaking cool that we're coming back with Eden Espinoza. Yeah, and cool that she agreed to come on. Again, always shocked by the people that agreed to I talk know. to us. I keep worrying that we're going to not get any new stuff to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, I keep worrying yeah. that we're eventually we're going to hit this wall where everyone's telling the same story. Yeah. Hasn't happened. Listen, no alphabet journey is the same. Like fingerprints. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. The fingerprints of the handprint on my heart. There's a really cool visual in there, like the fingerprint, and it's like everyone's alphabet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the fingerprint is a yellow brick road. Oh. Oh, bitch. Wow. Did I just invent the t-shirt? Something I thought was super interesting that I did not know prior to this is that Eden originally went in for out-of-town Nessa, like OG Nessa o- OG Rose. Nessa. Okay, Quincy, this was the thing I wanted to talk about because then I got to thinking, I wonder if Eden Espinoza is the root of the Alphaba Standby Nessa Understudy track. Like, I wonder if that track came into existence because they were like, hey, two birds, one stone. No, that is super interesting and probably accurate. We need to, like, definitively find out how many Alphaba Nessas there were. That also made me think, though... If Eden originally went in for Nessa Rose, Mm -hmm. do you think that mentally then she was like, okay, if I'm going to be in the show, it's going to be Nessa Rose. So then when she gets the call from SJB saying my standby, the standby position is going to be open. Do you think she was like, well, can I do Alphabar? If I'm Eden Espinoza and I know that this role is, you know, that Stephanie's working on this role, I'm probably thinking like I can do what she does. So I can probably do this role. Not, I don't mean to say that they were like the competition, like they were the Ivy and Karen of the greater Los Angeles community theaters. Oh, that's a Ryan Murphy show. <laughs> um, I think that like for an actor or an actress or a singer, it's like a normal thing to like look at somebody else who you equate yourself with and say like, okay, I could probably do that too. Sure. I also thought it was interesting or cute that Eden was like, oh yes, SJB was the it girl of Orange County. I also would just like to say what a freaking angel Stephanie J. Block is. Like, how nice is that to be like, hey, I'm leaving this show and I think you'd be good in my track. Sure. I thought you were going to talk about the two separate stories of SJB singing to okay. the acapella. <laughs> I can only talk about one thing at once. But you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I love that she... In that moment that was like a great moment for her, also took the time to like pay it forward. I liked getting the perspective 
of playing Alphaba from someone who has played Alphaba for so long. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that she kind of like was willing to be honest and open about where she was at with the role, mentally, everything, with at like every stage of that journey. Totally. But I also loved that with that came just like a very realistic candor about it too. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like a job, looking at it as a job. Yeah, like it was nice to hear somebody say like, to acknowledge, of course, the artistic value of the work, but also to just be like, sometimes it's harder than others. Like, sometimes it feels like a job. And also, like, when she was talking about how special opening LA was because it was her opportunity to originate and Joe Mantello really kind of mm-hmm. wanted her to do her own thing and scrap the Broadway version. It reminded me of, like, SJB kind of singing a similar tune when she was talking about opening the tour and same with Jenna Lee Green. Yeah. And I guess I just, like, I understand that they're different productions, but I guess in my mind, I never really realized how different of an experience it truly was to open a brand new production of a same show, a replica production of a same show. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the norm either. I think that that might just be Joe Mantello being a great director and mm-hmm. and putting, you know, equal attention into each of these new companies that pop up. Oh, that's interesting. When Wicked was launching a new tour, each of these new companies was being reviewed as its own production. I think also yeah. like, so then the stake of this like humongous show is on that. Yeah. I guess I would love to talk to someone who opened one of the like Hamilton sit downs and see what that experience was like. Like, was it a like slot in the puzzle mm-hmm. or was it like a kind of similar to this where they truly got to redo it? Cause that feels like equal in weight, I guess. Yeah. Cause even like with the book of Mormon, it's like, there's like a way to get the comedy of that show. Right. So it's not, you're not like digging into the the depths of of that show. Oh, and I mean we we shouldn't skip over the fact that it was so great to touch base with Eden about all of the work that she does in the arena of social mm-hmm. and racial equality and justice and the Broadway and the equity situation. Like yeah. I really value how vocal she is in both of those spaces, and so it was really cool to to touch base with her about that. Yeah, and to touch base with her, like, now in the timeline of everything, I think was really cool and special. And it's nice, too, because it's, you know, that's, like, a layer of the conversation of Wicked that we have, like, not really gotten to a natural place for us to to discuss it yet. yet. And so it's cool to kind of come back with with a, you know, a little bit of that. A really great conversation. Thank you for joining us, Eden. Yeah, thank you, Eden. Let's take a second to give Kevin's Glinda Corner a moment of silence. May she rest in peace. And with that, we will never speak of it again. Ah! <laughs> I think it's time for Stuck On SJB. Oh, I'm going to have to work on that. I got to find where it sits in my voice right now, guys. Yeah, the, the eval is hard. The eval is hard. Okay, so when I was tasked with coming up with this week's Stuck On SJB, I was happy because in the time that we've been away, it has been like gala and benefit season. So Ms. Block has been doing the circuit. We have a ton. Pounding the pavement, the digital pavement. Mama, she's got that ring light set up. She's got the glam. She's got Sebastian in the next room. Sebastian is her personal tech guy. There's tons of new SJB for us to delve into. So I'm really excited. And I'm sure there's still old SJB that we haven't delved into yet. We'll never run out. So what I would like to talk about today, and I picked this and then I I giggled a little bit during the interview because I want to talk about Stephanie J. Block singing Waving Through a Window. Um, (laughs) 
which Eden referenced um, oh as God. what it feels like to be the standby in the original company. But okay, 70 Day Block singing this song. First of all, have you watched this? Yes. This video? Okay, I'm just making sure. First of all, it's like a fever dream. Like, it's like... I want to know whose idea it was. Like, what was the creative brief for I that mean, it's video? like, great. Like, the execution of everything is so good. It's like, well shot. But I'm like, what is this fever dream where Stephanie... Jeanette Block, a disembodied, beautiful red gown of Stephanie J. Block is like trailing behind me on the subway, singing to me. I mean, what do what do I take to have that experience? <laughs> it's also like never did I ever even think about hearing SJB sing Waving Through a Window. Like it's never crossed my I mind. I didn't know I needed it until I had it. And I'm so glad it exists now. And it was good. It's so good. And she, the way that Waving Through a Window, she just drops that jaw it comes out it It is so good and also like i love the arrangements which if i'm understanding the description of the video correctly i believe mary mitchell campbell did the arranging Mm. which makes sense because they're exquisite and so that's my stock on sjb this week the inaugural stuck on sjb for summer with sent men well quincy I would imagine this episode is at least two and a half hours long at this point. So I feel like we can wrap it up. I am so happy to be back. Me too. I'm so excited to see what happens this summer. Your guess (laughs) is as good as mine, Quincy. Hopefully by the time people are listening to this, we have a game plan. We have our shit a little more together. Before we go, we should just Mm -hmm. give a shout out to the girls over at Underrated Podcast for having us on while we were on hiatus it it felt good to flex our podcast muscles a little bit with them yeah it kept us warm and we got to talk about uh leading ladies in wicked that we don't talk about enough yeah we got the opportunity to really dive into those ladies so go listen to it if you haven't it was a lot of fun yeah go listen if you haven't underrated podcast so guys we're not doing this every week yeah we'll see you in two weeks kids in a fortnight no Yes? If he's wrong with that word, it's not a reflection of me. I'm not. I I just Googled it, bitch. Okay. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DiMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. Isn't it called cloaked? First of all, cloaked is not a word. Cloaked. The Rapunzel show is called Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure, I'm pretty positive. And cloaked, I don't think is a real word. Like to cloak is a verb. I understand what a cloak is. No, I'm not using it like a noun. (laughs) Gay typing. (laughs) You're correct. Yeah, I know I'm correct. All right, well, it doesn't sound right.